New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Both science and spiritual traditions tell us that life and matter are profoundly interconnected. All the stuff of the universe is in relationship to a large web of interconnections, and this includes all human civilization. And speaking of the human realm, despite our present polarization and alienation from one another, there are some underlying shifts that are taking place that should force us to come together in mutual support and creativity. For example, climate change, which does not have a political preference and does not respect national borders. We are in an age of exploding crises, which is leading us into an era of intense transitions. How do we meet this moment as effective agents of change? To give us guidance as to how we may become evolutionary activists is our escort, Terry Patton. Terry Patton is a community organizer and has dedicated his efforts to the integral practice of evolving consciousness through the marriage of spirit and activism. He founded and leads Bay Area Integral, which gathers and supports the integral community in the San Francisco Bay Area. He is co-author with Ken Wilbur and a core team of Integral Life Practice and is the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an ethos for revolutionaries. Join us for the next hour as we explore a path forward out of humanity's current morass with our guest, Terry Patton. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Terry, welcome. Thank you, Justine. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much for being part of this public discourse, so to speak. Um, first of all, I would love, Terry, if you could share with us something of your background. You've come to a huge body of work, and I know that we all want to get into it, but first we'd like to understand a little bit of your background. Can you share? Sure. Uh, when I was six years old, my folks moved from the south side of Chicago to a place called the York Center Community Co-op. It had been founded by members of the uh, Church of the Brethren, uh, which is one of the peace churches. And they wanted to own their homes with other people with the cooperative form of ownership like had been 
pioneered by the Rochdale Weavers. And they ended up uh, inviting people of other races and religions to live together with them as a witness for peace and brotherhood. So I grew up during the civil rights and uh, Vietnam War uh, protest years with my friends' parents and my parents' friends being my mentors and guides and really kind of raising me to be an activist and a revolutionary. So I was very active in political causes in high school in the first uh, couple of years of college. But then I had uh, a pretty strong experience of, uh, of recognizing that uh, as within, so without, and that the revolution really had to begin with me. And I found my way to the human potential movement. And then to my root guru, Adi Da, and I was uh, in an ashram for 15 years from the age of 22 to 37, really deeply focused on the inner work uh, and then uh, felt I had to leave that context and uh, founded a company. I wrote a book uh, with my wife uh, on a, a, a consciousness technology called BioCircuits. And out of uh, that, uh, had a company called Tools for Exploration that defined a new product category, consciousness technologies. And after 10 years, I sold that company and began working on, uh, on this book, actually an earlier version of this book. And then I, I really wanted to show it to Ken Wilbur because I had a lot of respect for him. I thought he was pretty brilliant. And when I brought him that early version of this book, he invited me to get involved with him as one of the teachers of the Integral Institute. And uh, so I co-authored that uh, book, Integral Life Practice, that you mentioned. And... Uh, and have been teaching an integral approach, you know, in, in the sense that practice isn't just what we do on the meditation cushion. It's really every moment of our life and our relationships and our public life. But I was aware uh, even then that we're living at a tipping point in the whole evolutionary history of, uh, of man. And I wanted to help us come into, you know, it, it, life is so complex and our minds can't quite grasp all of it. But in some sense, this is the time. This is the moment. This is the all hands on deck moment. And for us to understand that and find our way through it in a way that doesn't derange us, but which brings us together is really the task of our time. And I wanted to make a contribution to that. So I've I've been pretty deeply involved in crafting and bringing this book forward for several years, and I'm, I'm really happy that it's finally in the hands of readers like you and, and many others. Yes, yes, it's, it's really quite—I was talking with you before the interview began, and uh, I was thinking, uh, this, this book or the, uh, these thoughts, the wisdom and the experience that you bring into these pages— um, is a whole course of study. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, I could I could see that I could take a whole year or more to to really let it unfold slowly into my being. And uh, although I had to go through it, you know, I had to go through it in a couple of weeks. I feel like, oh man, I'm I'm out of breath, so to speak, from from the experience. And and I want to go back to something that you. 
you talked about about the the overwhelming part of of where we are right now and how we can feel easily go into what I would say despair and say, oh, what what can I do? The things are so big. So what would you have to say about that? You know, most of us are in total denial of how serious uh, our situation is. We live in a culture that's in denial. And therefore, since we're social creatures, we partake of the attitudes of our social surround. All of us are to some degree in denial. And when we face the climate science and the realities of just how far we've overshot our planetary carrying capacity and the kinds of damage that we're doing to our very life support systems and to our great-grandkids and the future of life on the planet, you know, it, it can be so upsetting that we, we think that facing it is only going to take us down. In fact, you know, the deep esoteric understanding of, of, of the soul lets us know that in some sense we consented to be here now. This is our time. Our time is the time when all of this is coming together. There's meaning and purpose in our being here. We are built for this task. And in fact, the only way out of this jam is through. We, by facing this darkness, going through a dark night of the soul in a way, we can actually find our way to, I think, a, a much more joyous and, and meaningful and wholehearted and even sometimes lighthearted relationship. You know, Human beings have lived under life and death circumstances since the beginning of time. The fact that much is threatened isn't so horrible. It's only been a few generations that we've been insulated from the raw, ragged quality of life and death as much as we have been lately. The fact that that may no longer be our circumstance is not necessarily so terrible. There is great joy in the most poverty-stricken parts of the world. And we will discover that in some sense, we're going to be liberated from the burden of our ease, uh, the sated heart, the protected heart, the uh, heart that's insulated from life is, is, is yearning for real contact. And uh, unfortunately, there's going to be some uh, some you know, there already have been and there will be more uh, disasters that will bring us out of that immunity, but I think into real life. So I think ultimately my book is a very positive book. It's, it's, it's a hopeful book and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a book that expresses a lot of joy, but it, it goes directly to the things that terrify and horrify and break our hearts because really the joy that is equal to our moment is on the other side of despair. It's not on this side. It's not by avoiding that we can really find real peace now. You know, Terry, um, when we think of being an activist and actually participating and getting ourselves out of the stands and onto the playing field, as you say. We, we have chosen to be here in this time and to make a difference. And when we think about activism, we don't normally couple that with spiritual practice. 
but you really join and marry those two. I'd love for you to tell us yes. why. Thank you. Well, I think that the private samadhi on the cushion is really no longer a, a morally defensible ideal to hold in a world that's in as serious of a crisis as we are now. Somehow our awakening, whatever it is, has to find its expression in love in action in real ways. We have to be of benefit, especially when everything we love is in real ways threatened. So our spirituality, you know, is as it does. So that, you know, means putting it into action, and hence the word activism. But the word activism is a little bit two-sided. It, it tends to connote a kind of discontent and grievance and a sort of subtle edge of negativity. And we need a much more uh, spacious definition of activism to be adequate to our current circumstance. It's got to include the in-the-system activism of voting and candidates and the against-the-system activism of protest and marches, but it also has to include around-the-system activism that takes us to a uh, create all the creative projects that we do that make the world better and take care of others. I'm here with Terry Patton, and he's the author of a New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, terrypatton.com. And he spells his name T-E-R-R-Y-P-A-T-T-E-N, terrypatton.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Terry Patton, and he's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. And Terry, um, I know that you understand and you have, you conveyed in your book and, and in all of your work that, uh, that nothing really exists in isolation. And um, there's um, a quote that I pull from your book from Charles Eisenstein, and he says to this statement, we are in this together, as you have also stated. And he asks such a profound question. He says, well, what is the together that we're in this 
it's like, okay, well, all right, we're in this together. Well, what are we in this together? So what can you say about that? Yeah, well, he, he points out we're in the uncertainty together. We're in the question together, which I quoted because uh, central to this, you know, how can we be wholeness in a time of fragmentation? How can we be the health of the planet when all of us are dependent on fossil fuels for our very life? We want to be sustainable, but our lifestyles aren't sustainable. We have to change now, but we can't exactly change now. It's as if we're all a bunch of, you know, billions of maggots that are over halfway through devouring our host and extincting ourselves and our progeny. And we're seeing ourselves in the mirror and going, well, I don't want to do this anymore, but we can't help it. And we keep chewing it up. It's it's kind of a horrible dilemma. Well, it's re- it really takes courage and integrity to face that predicament. But it isn't something that has a, a quick and easy answer. The idea that we should do something in our policy and in our collective life that is more intelligent and wise and sustainable, yes. But exactly how to make that transition? Nobody has fully adequate answers to that question. And there probably will be some awful disasters along the way. There already have been, the wildfires and floods and uh Killer heat waves, uh, you know, have already hit, and they're likely to be worse and more in the time ahead. So, all of that represents an impossible question, like a Japanese koan, like "What is the sound of one hand clapping?" or "Show me your original face, the one you had before your parents were born." How can you? be the healing of this world in this time. You can do a little something here, a little something there. It doesn't seem like it's enough because we need whole systems change. We're all on the same lifeboat together, but we're tending to fight with each other. How do we convert all of that? Even when some of the you know, significant number of people seem to be dedicated to making the crisis work worse. How can you somehow not put them out of your heart and still not let that divisiveness reign over our common life? Those are all impossible questions. Well, being in a question deeply, dwelling in that uncertainty, dwelling in that intensity is a practice. That's why Zen monks are given a koan, an impossible question. That's why it changes consciousness. And like Rainer Maria Rilke said to the young poet Franz Kappas in his letters, live the questions, love the questions. Well, if we recognize all of us were given this koan by life, this impossible question, together, and we can't answer it, me, you, your answer, my answer, doesn't matter. It's only our answers together that are going to really make a difference. So we need each other. And so I see that living in the uncertainty, which we are, we don't know the outcome of this. We don't know what big solution, and it most likely won't be one big solution, but what you're saying, it's it's a collective that will will carry us through. So, but even though we are don't know the outcome, it doesn't mean that we don't participate with our peace, whatever that is. And I, I hear you also saying that we should we 
could keep ourselves in the game with our deep spiritual practice, uh, that, that that's more important than ever in some ways. Yes. We have to be able to be in touch with the basis for happiness that isn't rooted in local reasons. You know, when the wildfire hits, when the flood is upon us, there aren't good reasons to be happy when we've lost loved ones, when we've suffered injury, when things we care about with all our hearts are threatened or even destroyed. There still has to be an ability to be in touch with a happiness that isn't rooted in conditional reasons, a radical happiness. And that's consciousness itself. That's the high realization. That's the joy and goodness and beauty and truth of existence that's at the root of everything. And therefore, profound spiritual practice is necessary because only people who are rooted in that unreasonable happiness are going to be equal to the challenges that lie ahead. On the other hand, we need it right now. I need it in the next moment. We need it today, tomorrow. We need we, we need that. Uh, but it's not just that we need it. It's, it's the essence of things. You know, we can trust this existence. Even if it includes our death and the death of millions, this life is incredibly beautiful. The blossom is no less beautiful in its blooming because it will inevitably wilt. If, there, if we were there at the end of the world and seeing the last sunset, should we not enjoy it? There's this amazing Zen story of a a monk who's fallen into a ravine with a tiger at the top snarling and he's hanging by a vine and he's about to plummet to his death because the vine is breaking and he eats a strawberry and it tastes so sweet. That's, That's an expression of enlightenment. Well, we'd better enjoy every sandwich as uh, uh, my friend uh, Lee uh, Lipsenfeld uh, wrote in his last book uh, after his terminal diagnosis. Being in these conditions of life and death terrifies us, and then maybe it liberates us and liberates the heart and the intelligence of the heart so that we can live an unreasonable life in unreasonable times. It's time in a crazy culture for us to go sane, Let's go sane together. Be wild enough. Dance, play, enjoy, and give and find our way to a happiness in that's not only about self-help, that's about each other help. I know that you speak often in your book and you write about it and you work with it in this is the intelligence of the heart that the heart has an intelligence, that we we're, we work so much with the mind. Uh, and, you know, there's another kind of intelligence that we can tap into. Can you speak about that? Sure. Well, there's a whole field, neurocardiology, that's about the brain in the heart. And there's another field, neuroenterology, about the brain in the gut, in a sense that, you know, there are neurons and neural activity in the whole body. Candace Pert's book, uh, Molecules of Emotion, is all about that. And so the intelligence of uh, every human being is not only concentrated in the mind. The mentalized and abstracted functions of intelligence are very, very important 
I don't actually, I argue that we should move from the head to the heart. I, I talk about integral heart intelligence, which accesses the whole intelligence of the total human system, our gut level, visceral intelligence, as well as our abstract intelligence, but it integrates it all in the heart, the intuitive, caring intelligence of the heart that, that is the source of a kind of peace and, and, and deep trust of being is the place where we integrate all that intelligence. And it's what we need now. Our, our, our disputes, our controversies need to be adjudicated by our best intelligence, which is the intelligence of the heart. So we're, we're coming off of uh, an age of great fragmentation. You know, that, that is like the head place, and that's the most revered place, the intellect, the, you know, rational, the, the segmenting of things and categorizing things, and it makes us feel very much in control. But now we're moving into another era, and, and this is where we're bringing that wholeness, and you talk about integral intelligence and integral revolutionaries. So uh, help us to move with greater ease into that, because we can do it. We do know how to do this. So help us to, to see that we can do this. We tend to look at these problems and imagine that we have to devise a strategy through which we can solve it all and solve it in a way that prevents disaster from happening. There are a lot of embedded assumptions in that that are, that are wrong. First of all, we've got to begin to recognize that radical changes are afoot and that some of them are going to be wondrous and miraculously positive. In fact, if we look back at the history of cosmic, biological, and cultural evolution, it's miracle after miracle after miracle. That's what the word evolutionary emergence refers to. It's the miraculous way that something new comes out of, you know, seemingly completely uh, unpredictably comes out of, of you know, life comes out of dead matter. Consciousness comes out of vegetative life. How can that be? Well, there will be miracles ahead. So we need to remember that. The other thing is, there's a, uh, a way that these titanic pressures and these disasters are the very cauldron in which we will forge uh, new ways of, of being human. I, I think the whole human species is being shown that our way of thinking, our way of orienting is adolescent, and it's time to mature into adulthood. And we have some intuitions about aspects of that adulthood. Sure, it has something to do with heart intelligence. There's more love in it. There's a capacity for cooperation and altruism. But it's not just a uh, an idealism. It's got to be as tough as nails, as capable of, you know, it, it's got to be a love that is more powerful than anger and the kind of power that is exerted by inducing fear in others. The natural authority and, and inherent uh, sovereignty of the heart has to find its way to assert itself. Well, 
It will. It does. It always has. Life wants to keep living. Evolution wants to keep evolving. And that means more consciousness, more cooperation, more creativity. And that urge is there in us. Your desire to be of benefit and to make a positive difference is an expression of that very thing. I'm here with Terry Patton. He's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, terrypatton.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Terry Patton. He's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. This is a guide to inner work for holistic change. And um, Terry, you just mentioned something about the kind of energy that is created through anger and fear. That's that's where we have been. That's 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 what the media really pumps out. That's what uh, at least mainstream media pumps out. Uh, That's where we are in so many ways. That's what gets us to act. So you're talking about being pulled. That's kind of um, being forced by the fires uh, behind us. But you're talking more about, and I'm using the metaphor of being called by the angels, to be called with as much energy into this force field of love and empathy uh, rather than fear and, and anger. So help us to step into that field. Well, in some sense, there is an energy rising up in you as you see the the last northern white rhino, male rhino dying recently, or you, you know, when the heart breaks, there's a new energy that gets released. It's like the, you know, 110 pound woman lifting the car off her child. When what we love is threatened and a kind of, we call it a kind of love, but it's also a kind of rage. It's a, it's a resounding yes that's also a resounding no that just says, I am, I am you know, there's a, a, a roaring forth of the very force of being. And that energy is, it, it, it's called forth both negatively by the dark aspects of our crisis, positively by everything we love and care for and want to, you know, we want to vote with our feet for all our values and everything that's best in us wants to express itself. Now, we're also all subject to fear. We're all, every one of us can be threatened. Every one of us can be reduced to something less than what we are. It's not that fear and anger will not continue to play a, a certain kind of role, but we begin to recognize where it leads us, and we don't want to go there. 
We already see where it has been leading us. And we've been watching that with horror and, and fascination. And we got, you know, the wonderful line by Wes Nisker, if you don't like the news, go make some of your own. We're in that position where it's time to step forward. I, I think, you know, is it time this week, this year, next year, last year, 10 years from now? On an evolutionary time scale, it's now. This is the moment of a tipping point. And this tipping point is upon us. So whatever moment it is that you recognize it and you step over a threshold in your own being and you stand in that different reality and instead of referencing yourself as a separate ego who's threatened and who has to function mainly based on fear and you find another set of motives and you let them animate you, you become the active intelligence of a new human collective. And that's what I use this phrase to refer to. A new republic of the heart is you in action when you're operating from that other principle. So, Terry, you mentioned the, the tipping point. And I know that, that there are those who have said if 10% of the population steps into some particular place fully of belief in action, it will make a difference to the whole. I mean, really make a difference to the whole. And I, I know that Ken Wilber has spoken about this and others. And I, I want to ask, I have a question about that. Let's say 10% of us or however big percentage there is of us who have said, okay, I'm going to opt out of the system. I'm going to resist the system. I'm going to believe a, a, a certain silo of news. Some people might say, okay, fake news. They'll call it fake news. Whether it's progressive fake news or, or conservative fake news, I, I'm, I'm not distinguishing. It's just, just I'm in this silo of a certain kind of input. And so I'm dedicating my life in that input. Well, what, we, what do we do with that 10% that's, that's kind of putting a fence around? Oh, you're afraid there's a negative 10%. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, I think that this 10% idea has mainly been invoked by people who are looking at development, at cultural evolution, at progress, at new uh, advances in a positive direction. And when a, a new clarity or understanding uh, is clarified by about 10% of any larger population, the, the, the researchers at uh, Rennesler Polytechnic, who, who did the study I quoted in the book, say it spreads like flame. It suddenly really takes off. There are reactive uh, memes that have seized uh, big chunks of the body politic and have hijacked our politics in this time, but they're not really functioning in the same way because they're regressive. They're not new clarities, but they are regressions to principles that cannot be entirely left behind. I think all of us. Uh, I'm now. That, I'm a, I just want to pause here. That's a really important statement you just said. 
they cannot be left behind. I mean, we some of us would like to leave them behind and say and just dismiss them. But that's that's an important point, and I'd like for you to elaborate. Well, for one thing, uh, you know, I'm I'm politically progressive. Trump voters are, you know, I disagree with, but they're my cousins, my neighbors, my uh, my friends. You know, I'm I'm an American, and 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 as an American, I need all the strength of America. And a lot of the people on the right, you know, they wake up early in the morning, they work hard, they're self-responsible, they're law-abiding, they're demanding self-responsibility, they don't want a culture of dependency. They have points to make that are legitimate. And they're also arguing for something else, which is to sometimes we have to vote for our team. There, There is a, a kind of... Uh, enduring polarity. There are good, bad polarities between something that, you know, we could leave behind and something positive. So something, let's say, that's not life-supporting. Yes. Like, there, there's such a thing as good, bad polarities, but there's also enduring polarities, like the individual and the collective, or breathing in and breathing out. Individual and collective, that's like almost a paradox, isn't it? It, it, well, there will always need. We will always sometimes need to emphasize the rights and responsibilities of individuals, and sometimes we're going to have to emphasize our collective, you know, fate and circumstance. And similarly, sometimes we have to emphasize ethnocentric nationalism as well as globalism. We can't erase it. We were in hunter-gatherer tribes, my tribe, your tribe, in-group, out-group us and them, it's been a part of the human experience for a long time. And if there's a lesson we should take from the 2016 election cycle, it's that we have to respect that those dynamics are part of what has to come together. That's what I call a new tribalism in the book. The just bemoaning the evils of tribalism is an insufficient analysis. We have to recognize that tribalism itself can evolve. A community of practice, a community of deep discourse, a community of fellowship and love is something like a tribe. And there need to be new kinds of healthier tribes in dialogue with other tribes. And this relationship of tribe to tribe is the beginning idea for why I use this term republic in the title of my book. So going going back to the collective, I'm thinking one of the supports for looking at our collective interest over our individual it just some some of the ideas of of the commons that we all enjoy the air is our commons the water can be our commons climate is a clim- is a commons i mean this is going past all of our individual needs it's our collective need of how we survive as living entities on this planet. So that's where the collective, and I, I like what you're saying, also the individual needs to also be supported. And um, going back, you mentioned something about a community, community of practitioners or community of practice. And I'd like to talk about that for a little bit because I know that that's really important as far as being able to help us develop a way to be in contact with others and grappling with 
essential questions. So talk about gathering together as community practitioners. You know, I was saying before that we have these impossible questions that have been put to us together that we can only answer together. That we have to answer those. So I think we're going to be forced, and I think we're also naturally gravitating into deeper and deeper fellowship with one another. If the human species is going to grow into a new adulthood, I think human friendship and human love can grow to new, deeper levels. Communities of practice, you know, a, a synonym for communities of practice is a sangha. The Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha are the three jewels of Buddhism. The enlightened one, the enlightened teaching, and the enlightened community. Uh, as we know, uh, spiritual communities are not perfect places of, uh, you know, in fact, the hardest thing to do is to build community. I, I, I often... Uh, no, it's, it's, it's an old borscht belt joke. Uh, I love humanity, but people, oy vey. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we call it uh, uh, the conscious crucible <laughs> in some yeah. ways. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and so I think there have been some really important uh, investigations of what can come about in the we space. Like when my eyes meet your eyes, there's my experience, there's your experience, but there's also something here halfway between our eyes that's the quality of the we. And that, we can notice the quality of that. And we can allow that to grow and we can become curious about how to cultivate its best qualities. And we can begin to recognize our interdependence and discover that a kind of altruism in among uh, practitioners uh, actually benefits us in a different way. And to the degree we throw our lot in with one another, our altruism in relation to one another could make us together uh, more competitive. You know, evolutionary theory would predict that a superorganism of cooperation would be the next evolution of, uh, of human beings from me to we. I'm here with Terry Patton. He's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Terry Patton. He's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, an Ethos for Revolutionaries. 
And Terry, as you were just speaking about that we that's between us, and I, I could just really feel it that when when I want to remind us about those moments, they're very, very precious when we get together with another person, maybe that they think differently from us. Uh, it's our, our our neighbor who's who's the opposite on the end of let's say a political spectrum than us, and we come together and we start to talk, and something happens that magically we 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 go down deep enough to find that place where we're in tune with one another, where we are resonating with one another. And that's such a precious moment, when, and we've all felt it, like it maybe happens in just a like, brief moment. But it's very exciting, and, and that's that we moment that you're talking about. So I'd love for you to, to talk more about how we can consciously create those we moments that you're talking about as we come into our our human species uh, uh, adulthood or at least growing out of our adolescence well one of the things that i think is most exciting are is the way that we can come together with others who have a similar understanding of of practice of the pra- once we recognize that life is a school and that every moment is an opportunity to be more or less open intelligent flexible all the virtues good true beautiful loving uh, free you know joyful we we neurons that fire together wire together so however we're tending to be we're going to tend to be more that way in a future moment and so the more we t- are taking responsibility and we're understanding it in the same terms we can coax each other beyond our unconscious patterns and then we can actually cultivate the quality of our togetherness and you know, th- there's a whole tradition of conscious dialogue that Dave, David Bohm uh, and Bohmian dialogue. Uh, uh, physicist, yes, yes, David Bohm. Uh huh. And and there and there are movements around collective intelligence and collective wisdom and collective awakening, and those are becoming stronger, and they're going to need to become stronger in the time ahead. So we we can uh, one of the simplest ways that you can practice it with with if you have a friend who with whom you share enough of these values someone who understands is you just get together and speak in the present moment about your actual experience making eye contact and letting go going into what's called beginner's mind don't know mind it's sometimes called and opening with you know from thinking you're trying to grasp and know everything to the sense of positive expectancy and discovery and enter into contact and become curious to get in touch with the miraculous qualities the infinite depth of that other person so you're talking about practicing in a, a safe environment this is a helpful thing to in a safe environment practicing true dialogue where we're dropping our we're we're being vulnerable to each other in the moment and and practicing that and that's going to give us like a foundation from which to move out so it's not like just tossing us out in the world and trying to practice this in a in a way 
No, no, I don't. I, 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 you know, it's always good to do whatever you can with a stranger or somebody you don't have much in common with. But it's especially possible to do some of this depth with somebody you have more in common with and really enter into a more powerful shared connection and a shared inquiry. One of my biggest themes is I hope that we can begin to transition from debate, which I think is a useless form of discourse, to what I call shared inquiry, where we're more interested in what we don't know than what we do know, where we're in the questions for which nobody has adequate answers, vulnerably together, knowing that we want to discover something new, sitting on the same side of the table, nobody trying to dominate anybody, both of us really curious in that space. And, and there are other things, you know, in the book, I have these five principles of evolutionary dialogue from Steininger and DeBold. There's, a, there's a, many different skillful uh, cues to engaging more fruitful Can, can you give us some dialogue. of the details of the, that kind of dialogue, the, these principles of what you call evolutionary dialogue? Well, one of them I already stated, being more interested in what you don't know than what you do know. Another is recognizing that you can tend to be both a little too personal and just get into your story or too intellectual and get so abstract that you're not really showing up. Another is uh, to recognize that every dialogue, every conversation is part of a bigger conversation. And so you ex explore whatever's possible, but knowing that the whole human collective is trying to explore press the envelope, go into the unknown and explore new territory. But I think the thing that is the maybe the most central, if we can be with this moment, this terrifying and exciting moment in our evolutionary history, this time when we've, the future will be very different from the past. If we can be with that as if it is, an initiation, a collective initiation, something that is drawing us into uh, our real destiny, our reasons for being born. This is the all-hands-on-deck moment. This is the moment we were born for. How inspiring. And we need each other to really respond to it. If we can be together in the spirit of that, wow. Yeah. Like that time of the butterfly as the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, that caterpillar becomes a mush. It actually gives up its structure so thoroughly that it becomes liquid. <laughs> I, it disintegrates, and then the imaginal cells form imaginal discs, and pretty soon they're wings and legs of a butterfly. That's, uh, so there is a disintegration and reintegration that's a part of this, that's one of the reasons that the last chapter of my book is titled, It's Not Too Late and It Never Will Be. Even after it's too late, windows of opportunity for more fundamental systems redesign are going to open up. We have to stop letting, you know, one of my favorite one-liners that I wrote in this book is, things are far too serious for us to lose our sense of humor. <laughs> our lightheartedness, our sass, our willingness to be joyful, even in the midst of, of, of difficulty, is that's how, you know, if things are this serious, we have to show up our very best. And that means bringing all those qualities to bear. And, 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 and having the humility, the epistemic humility is the $6 word for it. It means we don't know 
everything. And we need to know that we don't. And that recognizing that even when we're right about many things, we might be missing something else. Every perspective is both true and partial. It's another key term in the book. The idea that as much as I do know, there's more that I don't. And that somebody else is going to see that better than I do. And that recognition enables us to enter into our discourse with each other with enough humility and curiosity that that's what creates the opening through which that kind of magic that's in the we space can actually come forward. So I'm thinking that don't know place, if we relax into it, just that idea of relaxing into that don't know, then it, it frees up some energy because we're not self-protecting against the don't know. We're saying, okay, I may not know the whole picture. I don't know enough to be in despair. I don't know enough. Right. We don't know enough to be sure that every, like one of the things, most of us are in denial. Some of us are facing the darkness. Most of them are sure that everything is going to hell in a handbasket. Relatively few of us are able to be with the momentous and intense nature of what's up and also be in the not knowing that allows a miracle to come forward. Once we become certain that everything is going to a dark place, we risk becoming a, a self-fulfilling prophecy of what we f for what we fear. We don't want to know that everything is dark and then bring about darkness. We have to get even beyond that. This takes lots of existential courage. That's why this is, it's interesting, it's a book of social commentary, but a lot of it is an existential uh, meeting at the heart with many things that are hard and that challenge us to depth and to growth, but they also bring us beyond some limitations into a sense of wonder, into a sense of possibility, and into a sense of connection with each other, which is what I really hope the book will bring about more than anything. So it really encourages that reaching out in connection to, to isolate ourselves. It's not a time of isolation. And isolation is a fallacy anyway, because we are all connected, as, if you, as you pointed out. Yeah. No, there, there, there is a place for eco-villages and for communities of, you know, permaculture and, you know, all, all kinds of resourcefulness is, has, has a place. But to become so hermetically sealed, we are in this together. We are in this lifeboat together. In a way, the fiercest thing we can do is to say, you know, I'm living in a new republic of the heart. I'm a revolutionary. You are not going to separate yourself from me. I refuse to be in separation from you. That's the fierceness. That's the voice of love. That's how we are going to reclaim this with the kind of power the moment requires. Thank you so much, Terry, for being with us today and offering your encouragement in these troubled times. I've been here with Terry Patton. He's the author of A New Republic of the Heart, An Ethos for Revolutionaries. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, terrypatton.com. Terry spells his name T-E-R-R-Y-P-A-T-T-E-N, terrypatton.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3645.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.